Hello. Hello. You're listening to our podcast, Strawberry Week. I'm Hattie Young. I'm Bex Young. And Strawberry Week is a fortnightly conversation between two feminist best friends chatting about topical taboo areas affecting women. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome back to Strawberry Week. Thank you for listening to part one of episode two. In part two, we will be carrying on the conversation of public sexual harassment. Today's guest is Georgie Matthews. After a personal experience with revenge porn, she's been campaigning for education on consent and respect for women in schools. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us, Georgie. So nice to have you. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about your personal experience to start with and your thoughts behind your intimate intimate image abuse campaign? Yeah, uh, so I know you kind of covered this um, topic not that long ago, so I won't, uh, I'll try not to go into too much detail because I'm sure people have been made aware of some of the issues already. Um, but basically, I uh, discovered almost a year ago now that an ex-partner of mine had been sharing intimate images of me without my consent. Um, and that relationship had ended about two years previously. So there's no way of knowing how long that sharing had been taking place. Um, and then I reported it to the police and then in December last year, so it sort of took about six months or so for the, um, the police to make their investigations and come to some sort of conclusion. So, uh, in December, they decided that based on the evidence that there was nothing they could do. So it was a case of no further action, uh, even though they had confessions from my ex-partner, um, there, yeah, based on his the motives that he claimed to have, uh, it, there wasn't an intent to cause distress, which is what the legislation is pinned on at the moment for disclosure of intimate images. There has to be clear intent um, to cause the victim distress for it to be taken anywhere by the police. So, um, yeah, basically following that rather shocking revelation that there was still nothing that could be done, I decided that I wanted to try and share my story publicly and see if I could at least raise some awareness around this issue and um, and that was a just over a month ago that I actually started talking about this publicly and following that I've just sort of had a massive surge of energy that I felt from myself and from women all over the country and you know further than that into the into the world in general because um, actually when I started talking about my experience it was the week before Sarah Everard blew up all over the news um, so it was it was a the week that followed it was the Sunday where I shared my video for the first time publicly talking about what happened to me and then the next day was International Women's Day the day after that there was and um, they were actually talking about the intimate image abuse on women's hour on bbc so it was or it was already getting some national coverage that i didn't even know was moving you know anywhere in kind of like a um a wider trend of discussion and then i think it was the day after that that they found sarah everard's body um so mm. it was a it was a bit yeah. of a week to be honest yeah um and then in theory the sunday following was the was oh mother's gosh. day <laughs> So it's, so it's, oh, all of these lovely things mm. happening to women this week, isn't yeah. it? Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but having started speaking about it and kind of looking more at the wider issue and finding myself part of this bigger story that was happening everywhere, um, finding sort of other women who were speaking up, other pe- you know, people in general from, from the kind of marginalised genders and sexualities uh, and wanting to 
be a part of that movement to try and help people basically right so um what are you doing in schools uh specifically well i'm myself per se i'm i'm not doing much at all at the moment um but what i'm i'm kind of doing some personal research into the um the education that's currently in place that's generally around what's referred to as pshe lessons right so it's, it covers all those kind of citizenship um social responsibility topics you know so um, most of us will have had things about bullying and drug abuse and that kind of stuff that we all had uh, at school or at least most people my age did yeah um so looking at the curriculum that's currently in place uh and then actually beyond that what um provisions there are for the actual teaching of it in schools Mm. um so I'm doing yeah so I'm currently just sort of in a bit of a research phase and just kind of getting in touch with other people that are maybe making some moves in this direction that would be useful for me to connect with Uh, because I certainly don't claim to be an expert on any of these things I've never been a campaigner um and I don't know much about kind of the legal system it's just that I've been thrown into Mm. an experience and uh, have the energy to kind of try and do something about it. So, yeah, I'm 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 researching and I'm connecting with other people that are doing really, um, really really good work and seeing if there's a way that there's you know I can be a piece of that jigsaw puzzle. Mm. Yeah, and um, obviously, like you say, uh, originally about the the campaign you've been working on, it is a legislation issue, really, isn't it, with the intent to, to distress? And I'm wondering, do you think that there needs to be more education around sort of intentions towards women generally in schools and whether that would maybe lead to a change in the law as well or yeah well so so um so I was speaking with the some people who work on the not your porn uh, campaign who who started you know from, from sort of the same place as me with intimate image abuse and they're now looking at um the sort of the bigger picture and how they can move forward with it and um the way they're approaching it is kind of legislation first and then education um because the government are the ones who decide the national curriculum so if we don't have their support on the legislation it's not going to filter down um so that's kind of the approach that they're taking uh and i do i do agree that that it has to be kind of like a whole cultural change and it does have to start and you know like all of these angles need to be kind of approached uh, simultaneously to sort of get the impact and that is that does seem to be what's happening at least the more I look into it the more I find people who are trying to do things on this mm. um, but there is already a, a curriculum in place that talks about consent um, and it actually a new curriculum came into force in theory in September last year but because of the pandemic uh, the actual enforcement of that curriculum has has been really difficult mm. So um, so that is already a problem that, you know, to try and just deliver it when you have tons of kids in and out of lessons and um, the teachers have have so many other things that they need to try and cope with right now, let alone bringing in all these really complex issues into the classroom. But what I've been finding when I've been talking to people is that although the curriculum may have been put into place, the support for the actual teaching of it is minimal. And there is very little um, materials provided uh, and the time given over in the timetables is is often very limited. So it's 
yeah, it, I think it's really important that although the curriculum currently pays lip service to some of the issues around consent mm. uh, and and things like intimate image abuse, it is only lip service and it's not being put into practice because, yeah, they're, they're, they're not putting the emphasis on it mm. uh, and the teachers aren't being given the training, even if they want to, um, to you know, they, they see it as an important issue. It's, it's really hard to talk about when you don't have the information. And it's mm. so complex, especially when safeguarding around um, discussions of sex with, with young people and, and, you know, with children is a minefield for teachers. Mm. So it's really complex. Do you, so once, say then, once the information is there, obviously yeah, teaching things to kids um, is a different thing again, isn't it? So, you know, you being an actor and things do you think that that more interactive way of learning is more beneficial to, to kids I absolutely do yeah um as as an actor I have um some experience in what's called TIE which is theatre in education mm. um many people will have witnessed these sort of workshops and performances when you're at school it was the the groups of actors who come in and do like a performance for you about a, a topical social issue and then you might break off into groups and discuss or you know work, workshops with the actors themselves those are things that I've been part of uh, and they are I think that they are so powerful in the way that they're presented because they are such a change from desk learning that kids will experience on most days so the engagement level is already going to be different because we respond to difference we respond to change and and kids you know and and teachers um are taught quite a lot about the different kinds of learning that that kids uh, benefit from different kids will find better for them so things like kinesthetic learning um which is you know that kind of movement learning and not just sitting and looking at a book um and yeah and i think that because the issues that we're looking at are about social scenarios and the way you behave um, in a group it's really beneficial to get them up on their feet and looking at it and experiencing it themselves um and because it puts it into a real life context whereas looking at a book getting a lecture from a teacher isn't gonna get that same response yeah and i think that would probably really really help with um getting children excited about it and taking it a bit more seriously as well because if they're engaging in it and they're going to be more more interested to learn about it, aren't they? Because like you said, a lot of it is desk space at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I have had quite, when I've been talking to um, contacts of mine that are in education, it's incredible the breadth of different responses I'm getting from, from teachers, you know, former and current teachers and people who work in, you know, that sort of um, theatre angle, like, like I've done, all of these people. How I've got some teachers telling me that, the kids will never pay attention to this stuff because it's not treated with um, any kind of uh, importance. You know, you're not tested on it. So so they're taught not to care. Mm. Um, if you don't have a, an exam to pass, then then there's not much incentive for one thing. Um, so lots of kids treat the lessons on PSHE and those sort of subjects as it's a DOS. And, and they don't pay attention and and they just muck around in the lessons. Um, so that's what I'm hearing from some teachers. Then other teachers are telling me that it's the kids who normally are really um, misbehaving that pay the most attention in those classes and are most engaged because they actually, you know, they might not be the best at maths, 
but they their empathy levels might be so much higher than their IQ. Mm-hmm. So the way they engage in those kinds of scenarios is wildly different. So it you know it's clearly so different across the board. And that is why you need to have a range of approaches to teaching anyway. But the fact that most teaching at the moment is geared towards desk learning and passing tests means that they're not going to be taught to engage from a young age. So they don't they just continue with that perspective. Yeah, and that's I just think that's so silly because the way the system's working at the moment, it clearly isn't working because and like it's putting every child in the same box when it's like people are so different in so many ways and I mean personally I I remember the assemblies that we had in um school I don't know about you Bex do you remember like the religious very briefly um, yeah but I those assemblies I remember whereas the other ones where people Mm. just talk like talking at you or the teachers you know what I mean things like that don't remember them Mm. Um, no not at all and I I think our our personal sort of PASIC PSHE lessons were not taken seriously everyone sort of looked forward to them because you knew you're gonna have a laugh because the teachers teachers themselves didn't really take it seriously either I don't think there wasn't there wasn't that sense of um we're all going to be sitting down for an engaging lesson it was kind of like we're all preparing for a bit of a joke and Mm. I think as well the other thing like like you said Georgie about people not taking it seriously because you know you're not going to do an exam in it it's almost like through school at the moment with the curriculum being the way it is it's structured in a way that you just kind of forget everything afterwards and it's just kind of accepted like oh remember this for now and then you can forget it kind of the same for for this as well and that's Mm. yeah that's why I think doing something interactive would be so much better because it's like a long-term learning thing yeah yeah and I think if you were to set up a system wherein the kids always know this lesson they're going to be up and doing something then they're going to be excited mm. um I mean I'm not, it won't work in all scenarios and there are things that you know you, you can't demonstrate in, a, in an active way when you're talking about really sensitive things um but if if the kids are taught to expect that this lesson will be engaging then then they won't treat it like a you know like a DOS subject like a like a time to mess around mm. and I, I think that there is I mean I don't know about you but most people I know there's at least one teacher you remember at school who you loved yeah who, who really got what it was supposed to be about when you were in a lesson and they made it fun and engaging and you remember that teacher you remember those lessons because you know that the person that's teaching you is excited too and yeah. the teachers don't get any joy from teaching this right now no there, there is yeah and I also think as a child you're kind of taught to like yeah respect your elders like keep quiet in class you're not really told to have a voice and if you are it's almost in like it's not actually in a positive way and I like yeah in school I remember the teachers that allowed you to have an opinion and weren't just kind of there to just like talk at you they yeah everyone kind of got involved in the classroom and it was interactive and like um you know performance is so powerful and it really does stick in your mind um I mean yeah from a film perspective as well like it's and it's the same with theatre it connects you to the story because it's right there in front of you and um you know people look at images and they can connect with the characters and the story Mm. um and you do remember that yeah I was actually um I was speaking with some friends of mine who are working on they're doing research and development on some uh, TIE productions that would, are looking at some really difficult, sensitive topics. 
uh, and one of which is child exploitation, which is really, really tough to try and explain that in schools, you know, to try and gauge it at the right level for the kids um, to make sure that you're not kind of overstepping the boundaries, but also teaching them the skills and the awareness that will help protect them. And me as an adult found it really hard to watch. I, I really, you know, the, the the issues that are being talked about are happening in schools, unfortunately, and they should be talked about. But it's we haven't even as adults been given the uh, the language to express how it makes us feel when we see that. Mm. And and there is, I think, there's so much to be said for the fact that education shouldn't just be for kids. Mm. We we as adults have so many things that we need to to understand uh, as as society moves so quickly particularly when we've got you know technology social media is changing the world massively right now and and there are things that i'm kind of having to question about my own understanding of the world and you know and and looking at your own unconscious behavior is a really hard thing to learn when you haven't been given the tools to do so from a young age and it, you really have to challenge yourself. And that's not something that, that everyone has the capability to, to understand they need to find for themselves. You know, you have to go and learn unilaterally, which, which everyone should do anyway. But if there was sort of a more regulated way of adults learning about all of these issues too, then society as a whole would move faster. Mm, that's such a good idea, actually. And something that perhaps could be conveyed with children in schools as like a continuing education process like you're going to have to keep learning this as you get older but do you think maybe there Mm. should be a responsibility for people in the workplace to sort of carry out courses or hold discussions at least yeah I I think I don't know I haven't looked into the regulations of what these sort of things are like in the workplace um so I don't know what what provisions are there already but I, I, I know that there are some companies that will put on uh, talks and workshops with their employees about things like workplace harassment, that sort of thing. It's certainly not commonplace, let's put it that way. Um, so I would assume that it's not a general um, you know, blanket rule that, that companies have to enforce. So I, I do think that it would be beneficial. And and. The fact that we don't talk about it is because that we're all still embarrassed about it because we've been taught to be embarrassed. You know, the teachers don't want to talk about it to the kids. And, and that's and that's just so many holes in in how, you know, like I mentioned before, with safeguarding. I was thinking about this the last day or so. Safeguarding, whilst it's obviously there to protect, makes some things really, really difficult for teachers to try and share because as because as the kids get older you want them to be able to express their sexuality express their you know their gender identity if if that's something that they're you know that they need to sort of think about but teachers aren't allowed to discuss those things with you know with with certain age groups because of because of safeguarding and also because of the awkwardness that adults feel talking to children about it even though we were all teenagers we know the urges that we felt at the time so it's kind of like we're trying to ignore the fact that that young people experience you know the the sort of 
the sexuality that we now have as adults because it started somewhere and we kind of try to ignore it. Mm-hmm. And that's why we end up with a culture of shame where people don't talk about their experiences, where people feel scared to be open about who they are because the adults don't want to talk to them about it. And they and in some cases are being actively prevented from doing so. Yeah. And then it kind of creates that sort of underground condition for harassment because um, it's, it's mm. still kept a taboo, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. And and I certainly didn't feel like there were teachers I could go to when those kind of things were happening at school, you know, when when things were uncomfortable. I mean, I can remember being sat in a PSHE lesson. I can't remember what we were talking about, but we were like sat around tables, you know, groups and we're supposed to be discussing something. And the boy sat next to me was being incredibly inappropriate. Um, I won't say exactly why, but I I actually had to say to the teacher can I please move tables and this isn't like I wasn't the kind of student who I'm not a shy person I never really have been Mm. and the fact that you know I felt I had to ask says quite a lot about how uncomfortable I felt the teacher ignored it oh my gosh yeah and that's in a PSHE lesson And, you know, and basically actively told me, nope, just sit there and get used to it, more or less. I mean, he I don't think he saw what was happening, but he didn't notice any signals whatsoever that would have helped me in that in that moment. And I ended up slapping that boy in the face. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it felt good. I'm not supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. I know we're not supposed to say these things, but I did quite enjoy it. Yeah. No, yeah, because exactly, if you if you can't go to the person that you're meant to be able to go to um, to keep you safe, exactly, what are you then going to do? You're going to defend yourself, mm. and then I'm sure what did the teacher then when you slapped him have a go at you or something or tell you off? I can't actually remember. I think I managed to do it without him looking. Oh right, that's quite <laughs> handy. Um, yeah, but then yeah, exactly. I'm sure that then that boy would have been outraged or whatever that you slapped him, but then exactly it's kind of like that thing then isn't it boys will be boys once again mm. and uh, girls and women just have to like get used to it and that's the way it is but actually yeah. no because then it just stems from the whole thing of like women being disregarded and disrespected and yeah yeah and there's so many things in in school life that will unfortunately perpetuate the difference between boys and girls rather than bringing them together in the, into a cohesive social unit yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think and like biology lessons when you in my school, at least when we were being taught about the birds and the bees stuff, they separated the boys and the girls. Oh, you know, how did they do that for so, us? I can't really remember what the, the vibe was in our school. I, they yeah, did. No, I think they did, didn't they? We, didn't, we had to we had because um, uh, we went to a Catholic school, didn't we? So they were even. <laughs> yeah, they were even, don't talk about contraception. No. Yeah, but they. To be fair, yeah, but our, so our teacher, he was really nice, wasn't he? And he was, um, that's the kind of, that's the teacher that I I can remember getting us like interactive and allowing us to have opinion and things. Um, Yeah, especially in a Catholic school, because they are a bit more regimented, aren't they? Hmm. But um, yeah, we, I'm sure we had to go and have, because we talked about, yeah, contraception in it, but we, we, he didn't teach it to us, our, um, another teacher did he was a female and then we like yeah we saw all the contraceptives like the mm. coil and things like that but yeah, yeah I, I think we did um have them separate but I think mine was I think yeah, mine was you're together. already being 
But I remember it being not for, but I remember it being together because of the general atmosphere was people were laughing, boys were laughing, girls were laughing at each other and at everything. And the teacher was struggling to sort of keep it under control. It is, it is hard. And I do think, um, because I come when I go into schools and do the sort of things that I've done as an actor we use very different tools compared to the kind of teachers you know that stand at the front of the class um we are allowed to you know I mean it's well I say we're allowed to but it seems as though we just in general have less of that kind of strict approach um where you know if if you're making noise and having a joke then we'll join in with it and make it embarrassing mm. for you. Um, you know, like, I mean, it's it's hard for me to, I don't have like a written down toolkit of, of, the, of the things that I do when I'm kind of in a classroom when those things happen. But I don't remember many teachers using those kind of like, you know, they, they don't embrace that atmosphere of, of fun, um, which can kind of, which I think can be really, really valuable when you're, when you're in, when you're discussing those topics that do make the kids laugh yeah. and yeah and and it that will always happen I think because at that age you're sort of you are figuring it out and you're like oh okay we're talking about that thing that kind of makes me feel tingly in places I've never thought of um, <laughs> um and it is it is it is weird you know it, and it, I think it, there will all be always be a certain level of that but but there are yeah I think there are so many benefits to uh, a teaching approach that's a bit more open and fluid um but safeguarding makes a lot of that hard so so you know when the teachers who are in in those formal positions uh, have to obey these rules and they there is a lot of pressure on them to do that mm. um what i found really interesting though i mean just generally talking about that kind of like um you know that that feeling of awkwardness when you're discussing these things um is so i was speaking to someone who she's a nursery school teacher uh, so really, really young ones. And they now have new rules in place where they actually have to use the right words when they talk about genitalia. Oh, they have to call it a vagina. They have to call it a penis. They can't say, you know, all oh, you're downstairs or you're willy or whatever. They have to use the actual words. And that is driven by safeguarding that, re- you know, the reasoning for that. Um, but what it really does, and I think it's such a good thing, is it normalizes it from a young age. Mm that you're supposed to, you know, you are allowed to talk about this mm. um, and, you know, and, and understand that the other thing that they're doing is that you have a, um, I think they refer to it as a, as a, a key worker or, or something. They, that was the phrase that like, it was definitely key something, but key worker is a phrase that now means lots of other things in the yeah, current. Yeah. Right. Um, but what it means is that each child has one designated adult that is the only one who can change their nappies and that kind of thing. So it's sort of teaching them that, you know an area of their body is supposed to be private um and that only one person who they trust will be you know dealing with with that area of their body um and it's kind of it's trying to balance yes we can talk about this but also it should be private it's it's like it's a really really hard thing to to sort of you know you want to be able to give young people freedom of sexuality and freedom of expression of their sexuality and you know to give them the tools so that as they grow up they they understand how that they can they can talk about this but trying to marry the difference between you are allowed to keep this private but also you can talk about it is really hard to teach Mm. Mm. yeah it's interesting what you say about 
being able to say vagina or penis I saw something about that the other day on social media and it made me stop and think why did I not call it vagina for so many years why was that Mm. why was that like a dirty word but it's literally just another part of your body it's so strange isn't it was it the thing for you at school you told to call it different things and uh, I mean, when I was growing, I don't remember having words for my own genitals, actually. I remember having words for boys' genitals. I remember mm. Willie was the one I, I don't remember having a word for mine. I don't think I ever yeah, really... that's true. Yeah. I mean, and I will say, even now, I don't like the word vagina. No. It doesn't sound But great. also, I think, with the word vagina, often when people are talking about vaginas, they're actually talking about vulvas. And so then there's a later confusion yes. about, okay, which what where what do I have oh yeah oh yeah I was I mean I was looking um I bought a book recently that I've only just started but it's called vagina (laughs) colon a re-education um and I don't know a lot about my my body yeah there are so many things that I did yeah like like you say the difference between vulva and vagina I'm I'm gonna say that was a pretty recent revelation yeah yeah, same and that's because we're just we're just not taught it I mean sex I guess that's a part of sex education as well but I remember learning about that in biology I don't know if it's the same for you but it's it's Mm, very sort of this is what you have you will get pregnant maybe you will have periods then you will not that's that boys have wet dreams Mm. that's that's Mm. all it's not like these are all the different parts of your vagina that you need to know about and then I guess you could collaborate that biology lesson with the PSHE lesson do you think and sort of say okay we've learned about these parts and then explain yeah yeah I mean some of the some of the teachers I was speaking with they sort of advocate it being a more a generally more integrated approach so that in the same way when you discuss so the the example that this teacher gave which I thought was a really good one was when um so the teachers um in English lessons they were reading Noughts and Crosses Mm -hmm. by Mallory Blackman um, which is, you know, uh, if you know the book, then then it's about kind of turning racism on its head, essentially. Um, and so and there is quite a lot in there about uh, sexual ex- exploration for, you know, for the, kind of the first time these characters um, explore each other's bodies, if we put it that way. Um, and how valuable that was for the kids in the classroom having a discussion about the topics that were in the book. So when if you were to then extend that more broadly across other topics, where it becomes more a part of the everyday lesson that yes we're talking about your body parts and the impact this will have on your life so I mean so you know it's it's like I've all I've been doing is as I say I'm in this research phase I'm just talking to people and getting opinions and you know that these things should be part of learning anyway when like, like I say when you have English lessons where you talk about a particular topic in a book or in history lessons when you talk about periods of history where you know democracy was under fire these kind of things become integrative with social learning um but finding ways to then discuss the more complex social issues i still think will require dedicated time um but but i do agree with you things like biology lessons where you are being taught about the parts of your body um there should it should quite naturally lead on to you know, not just the uh, looking at diagrams, but also the the discussions of how this will make you feel whilst mm. it's happening. Yeah, and then I think exactly if you have that education in there, not and then not just for women, but for men as well. Exactly, it's like a vagina is not just um, 
a body part of a woman that's like there for you and like it's just sexualized like is it clear it's actually Mm. an organ in your body that you need you know that is actually needs education point as well yeah and 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 it's not and I it's not you know just women that's that have this issue I mean men are filled with shame about discussing their prostates you know yeah, yeah. But, you know so, so mm. it, it is it is an issue across the board but but women feel a sort of a bit more of that real life um day-to-day negativity unfortunately but but I would I certainly think that this these issues are issues for everybody regardless of your gender um and yeah so so whilst i i advocate discussing talking about women's issues if we don't talk about men's issues alongside then i i don't see it moving um as quickly as it could 100 percent. i think do you think that's why it's so important perhaps then to have both both genders or all genders in a classroom discussing it at the same time so mm-hmm. everybody can be on on board then yeah, yeah, I think that's you need to start normalizing discussions of of um, of sex and and biology biological difference um, from a younger age for it, for it to really move through society after that point. Otherwise, we're just dealing with the aftermath rather than trying to prevent it from happening. Mm. I guess yeah, that stems to, back to as well that like, um, people think that feminism is like it's just for women, when actually it's just equality between both genders. Yeah, yeah. And it does, it is quite upsetting to me when I meet certain people who, you know, women who I respect, who can't you can't use the word feminism, you know, in relation to themselves because of the bad press around what feminism means. And that's my my argument is always that feminism is really a synonym for equality. Um, but I do think that there are people who who call themselves feminists, who move in different circles to the ones I would move in um and and I and I do wonder to a certain extent if the word feminism has kind of had its day if we need to find a new word because it does to a certain extent exclude people that's so interesting you say that because I was talking to someone um like a good friend actually uh, not that long ago and um he said the same thing that feminism automatically makes him think that there's a divide and that it's Mm. like women attacking men and obviously I said like you know that's not the case and for you know perhaps for some people but for a lot of people uh who call themselves feminists that's really not not it but yeah he said because of obviously femininity and feminism kind of makes you does make you think of women Mm. and it automatically makes him think that there that it's make that it should be a divide yeah yeah particularly as um as a white woman um you know that the issue of whiteness in feminism is really quite scary um if you've read um why i'm no longer talking to white people about race which is a, a wordy title but uh, <laughs> um but i i um read that not long ago and there's a whole chapter devoted to feminism uh, talking about how feminism is is driven by whiteness in in the majority of our society uh, so it's you know it's not just excluding genders it's it's excluding race i i kind of think that we should keep using the word feminism because oftentimes and like you say in most places across the world especially the marginalized gender is women and i i know i i it can obviously be really divisive with people but i think that's the media's fault 
for picking up on the loud people who aren't actually feminists who want equality but are just sort of bashing people or whatever it is the media always picks up on those people and then it looks like that's the whole of feminism and it creates that divide and it's so dangerous yeah I do I do agree with you there is there is you know that you shouldn't just bow to the pressure of the media to change the way that you you know that you um, speak about your beliefs but I do think that language is such a powerful part of propaganda um, and you know and good and bad propaganda and if you know if, and if we're just hanging on to a word rather than the what it really represents then that's not really doing anyone any favors we're holding on to the word feminism because women have fought for it for years and we respect those women but if the word isn't serving us anymore why hold on to it I do think though I wonder if in a lot of cases it's almost by saying oh yeah the, just the word feminism doesn't um you know it makes me think there's a divide stuff but like, I just think perhaps in some cases it's an excuse to kind of like uh, dodge the responsibility and like dodge it gives people an excuse to kind of like not be a feminist and oh yeah yeah I do yeah I do agree with that as well um but you sort of I do think that to make change you do need to appeal to the masses right uh, and and language is sort of the way that you know that we do that um in because I mean because I I work in marketing you know and I and I work with um, with acting it's all about the way you express yourself with your words and try to convince people mm. of something to make them believe in something and words are so powerful yeah and and as much as I totally agree that some people will always be looking for excuses always there will always be some people who don't want to change mm. and wasting your energy on them is is pointless. But for those people who are in that massive grey area where they've just never even had to consider these issues, if there's if there are better channels through which we can communicate, then they should be explored. What what would you like to replace the word with? Do you have any idea? Or... Well, the one that I've just I think I've only said it out loud twice. Um, but but the only thing that I've sort of uh, has occurred to me is inclusionist. Hmm. Because it's it refer it would include by definition uh, anyone who who wants to be a part of a positive movement of uh, equality. Mm. That's yeah, I like that. That's interesting. The only thing I would say would maybe be a worry is that it's too broad, and that you start thinking, yeah, what are we fighting for? Because I guess with feminism, yeah. you can you know because it is focused on women, you can see you're fighting to get women up Mm -hmm. but I guess in that sense you're forgetting about men and obviously men are deeply affected by the patriarchy like you said yeah well I mean because intersectionality is is um another kind of um genre if I were to put it that way of, of discussing equality that tries to look at the various factors that play in to um oppression of all kinds and and I do and I think because I, I know what you mean, because because you sort of need to have like subtitles for the different parts in order to sort of have a discussion about a particular thing. But if you're not, I mean, because I mean, the thing is, these things are so hard to pin down into like you. There is no way that a one size fits all, you know, answer that there isn't one. But if you were to try and incorporate multiple goals 
into the same title, um, then then that would be the most beneficial for everyone. It's certainly the most complicated, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, but it is the it, it is going to be more likely to move society forward as a group rather than looking at individual groups and like right we'll pop up this one for a bit and then we'll pop up this one for a bit oh damn we've forgotten about one sorry sorry we'll pop that one back out um and and this is all going to be audio so you've got no idea what i'm doing with my hands but uh, <laughs> but but rest assured it's very very helpful hand waving um but <laughs> but yeah i mean i like i said at the beginning i don't claim to be an expert on anything but i just i'm just you know i i'm I think that there are ways of talking about equality that aren't currently mainstream. Yeah. It's interesting because... And feminism is very mainstream. Yes. Yeah. Um, I study law and gender, and I think everyone on my course pretty much... not Or no, not everyone, but most people on my course um, are intersectional feminists. And some of the tutors mm. are kind of a mix between intersectional feminists and more kind of radical feminists or more kind of liberal feminists. So you have got an interesting mix, but there is a base. Mm. I think most people of our age group and our cohort are intersectional feminists, which is linking mm. back to what you said in terms of realising there's all these different factors that, that affect social issues. It is really, really important for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's your opinion on when um, men stand up and say, I'm a feminist? How does that, how does that make you feel? I'm just kind of Amazing. Mm. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. That, I wish yeah. that happened with every man all the time. Um, <laughs> I, saw, I was just watching a TikTok the other day and then her, this woman's uh, boyfriend came into the picture and he was wearing, I'm a feminist top. That he just And I went on and I was like, it's just wearing this, like, just look a certain way. And I went on and he wears it all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, how amazing. <laughs> because to me, it shows that that man has knocked down those societal boundaries that uh, toxic masculinity has set, which is feminism is man-hating or feminism is this or that. Actually done some research and listened to women who are marginalised and said, I'm going to join you on that because that's not fair and I don't experience that that inequality and I don't think you should either. I just, I was fantastic. <laughs> what do you think that? Yeah. And I think it also shows that, like, they actually know what feminism yeah. is. Like, exactly, they've not just got that kind of, like, uh, view that it is, like, meant to divide people, it's meant to bring people together. Um, mm-hmm. And that exactly they actually care for this movement because it does involve them. It's not just for women. It's for It's for both genders. Mm, yeah I think that's really good because unfortunately I do I feel a little bit on edge when I see it because mm. I have known at least a couple of men who say I am a feminist out of vanity more than anything else right and they're saying it to get in with women and like look I'm a friend to you and I believe in you but they're not really engaging with the issue mm. there is that yeah that's which there is that danger mm. um I guess then it links back to education again, doesn't it? And just making sure that, although, like we just said, there is no, there's no one definition of feminism and there's no one perfect model of feminism and there's, there never will be. Just the base level of equal rights. Yeah, getting that taught in schools. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What do you think about um, school uniforms in school then, about, you know... Uh, girls were always told to have their skirt a certain length and things weren't they 
Mm, yeah, I was actually um, I posted something personal about my own experience of this yesterday um, on Instagram um, because I I generally think that there is a a misconception about what uniform does at school or what it should do because uniform is supposed to kind of it should make you all the same well so, well not all the same but like you're all kind of level pegging um and it's kind of like there's this sort of general understanding that uniform is supposed to give you a respect for your appearance in society and stuff which has which is underpinned by different issues really mm. um but the way it's imposed on girls more so than boys whilst at school really impacts you know how much um girls getting taken out of lessons and sent home for you know for not wearing the right outfit so they're instantly putting this priority over what you look like rather than how you behave and you know um how you treat other people so it's it's already shifting the perspective in the wrong direction from a really young age and I had an instance where I was I think I was 16 or 17 and I was walking into school and I was almost at the school gates you know walking with my friends and one of the teachers is just pulling into the school gates gets out his car slams the door comes over to me and tells me to turn around and walk home because my clothing wasn't appropriate and whilst I'm trying to say but sir but sir let me explain why I look like this or whatever trying to just get my explanation out he screams at me I just saw the bus driver do a double take look at you as he went past (gasps) as though that was a justification oh my god men looking at me inappropriately is because it's my fault. Oh, that's disgusting. Just thinking about a fully grown man looking at you inappropriately and you getting blamed for it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And he's <laughs> and he's screaming this at me around, you know, as my friends, all the other kids are going into the school gates. He is yelling at me that a bus driver looked at me and that's my fault. Christ. And I couldn't get a word in edgeways. And I, you know, and I turned around and started walking home. Uh, well, I said walking home, walking back to the train station. I took the train to school at the time. Mm. And there was no way I was going to be able to catch a train, get home, change and come back and still have the lessons I was supposed to have that day. And I cried walking home, you know, and, and there was there was nothing I can do. And one of my friends kind of ran back to me and said, just come back in. Just like, you know, just just put your, your coat on or whatever and come in. And it'll be fine. And I was, I was too scared. Yeah. You know, the the vitriol with which I was presented by this man, a man who was supposed to be my teacher, was terrifying. Was he suggesting that your skirt was too short, and that was the problem? Well, that was part of it. I mean, because <laughs> uh, I remember, because I vividly remember what I was wearing that day, because a number of things factored into why I looked that way, which is why I was trying to explain. Because for one thing, so. Some of, some of these rules, I think, are just plain stupid. So one of them, I was wearing a cardigan that was the wrong colour. Um, second thing was that I um, I wasn't wearing my blazer while I was walking into the school because it was it was a warm day and, and, I, and it was, you know, I didn't want to be wearing it. But it was sort of like a stupid rule from the school that whilst we were walking around the town, they wanted us to be in our blazers. It was like a represent the school by wearing your blazer sort of rubbish. So that was two things, both equally dismissible. The third thing was that my skirt was too short. And it's because the other skirts I would wear for school were in the wash. So I didn't have any other skirt to wear. But could I get any of those words in 
would it have made a difference? No. Mm, yeah, true. And I was just sent home, you know, missed an entire day of school. And I've been humiliated in front of everyone as I was going into the school. And I even remember another teacher approaching me. This was, I mean, this was like a couple of weeks later. A teacher I didn't know, sort of, we were, I can't remember, we were like in a group conversation about something that had some, you know, students in and, and there was one of these other members of staff there. And her sort of just sort of going to me like, are you the one that he sent home? So I don't know what conversation had happened. Right. But, th- but that story had spread through the teachers. And what it made me feel was as though I had been singled out as someone who had to be looked at and made sure that she was dressed appropriately. Ooh. And the day and the yeah, and the day that that teacher, you know, asked me that question, I was wearing full length trousers and, you know, and and a jumper and a blade like, you know, there was nothing to be said for my outfit because that's what I wore myself a lot of the time. It's, you know, I as much this shouldn't be something that they single out any girl for, regardless of if it's, you know, something they've seen several times. But the fact that, you know, I was someone who didn't have any evidence of being, you know, someone who constantly flouted these rules. But that story had travelled around the staff. And I don't know to this day why. I don't know if it's because other teachers were telling him you shouldn't have behaved that way or if they're going, oh, well, we definitely need to keep an eye on her. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to hope that there were some teachers that were like, you shouldn't have had to go at her like that or made her miss a whole day of education. Because mm. some pervy yeah. bus driver had looked at, looked at you when you're underage. That's what gets really. It's just no, Sorry. it's no. Um, it's just mad. Exactly. Like if so, if there if that teacher actually, you know, cared for its pupils, and there, there wasn't this like patriarchal kind of misogynistic and in, uh, ingrained thinking. Exactly, they should have like rang up that school because it, it was like a school bus. I'm assuming. Uh, well I mean the the bus simply drove past whilst I was walking in I think it was just a local bus but still like a bus that goes past a school and there's an Mm. older man looking at underage women uh girls sorry and surely like your first thought should be like right we better ring up that bus station bus station to say their bus drivers like looking at underage girls instead of Mm, going yeah instead of going mad at this poor girl like surely you know if they didn't like the length of your skirt because it didn't go with school rules or whatever it was like sure they've got lost property or something that they could go and be like oh let's go yeah Mm -hmm. let's go and get a skirt for you yeah I mean because the only I was trying to think how this would play out you know what's what's the equivalent for the male behavior and what they did in in that age um when I was you know that school I remember um, some of the lads being told, you know, they had to be clean shaven. So if they came in looking stubbly, then they went to the nurse and had like a crappy razor and had to try and, you know, get rid of the fuzz. <laughs> um, or, and I remember there being, there was a couple of them told like their suit was the wrong colour or something like that. Like when we were in that age, you were allowed to um, pick your uniform within certain parameters and the colour they had was wrong. But did they get sent home for that? No. Mm. That like that's the only equivalent I could think of. No, it was because of your skirt, wasn't it? It's not because of your cardigan, whatever they would have said. But I was just thinking when you said that, what's the equivalent for a man? There is no. Can you imagine a female bus driver eyeing up a young boy because he's got his tie on one side or like he's rolled up his sleeves or something? 
whatever the equivalent would be. It just wouldn't happen to start with because it's it's not an everyday occurrence. I mean, I'm speaking generally now. There might be lots of paedophilic <laughs> drivers driving around. Well, one, yes, one would hope so. But, you know, gender equality across the board. So. You know, there's, there's not like a, a, a rep for white van women. You know, there's not yeah. who shout at children coming out of school in their skirts but there is for men so yeah it, it would be difficult to think of an equivalent there because because that sort of view is looking at someone as prey just doesn't really happen in that sense yeah bizarre yeah well I'm sorry that happened to you because that's ridiculous yeah and I, and you know and I sort of it, it shouldn't make a difference but I was a good student and you know and and these things aren't discriminating about you know the behavior that you might exhibit all you know most of the time uh it you know they will uh, not victimize um they will kind of well they'll they'll target any instance of that behavior as an excuse to say that this is something that's inappropriate you know regardless i mean I'm, i'm phrasing this badly but i guess what i'm trying to say is that it's like when when men say things like you were dressed inappropriately, therefore you deserved to be attacked. If you looked at all the other times women leave the house, you know, dressed in trackies and, and you know, and their hair's all like a mess. Does that, I mean, why, why do we look at this one instance of maybe an occasion where she was, she was out clubbing and was wearing, a, you know, a bit of a revealing outfit and, and just pin that across the board as a reason to, to attack them? Yeah. And I suppose really he's not even attacking you because of your skirt. He's attacking you because of someone else's reaction to your skirt. Someone else's inappropriate reaction to your skirt. Mm. Like your skirt, your skirt like that can exist. And in theory, that would be absolutely fine if people just weren't perverts. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It was a really cool skirt. It had like, like dungaree straps on it. I thought it was really cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Georgie. It's been a great chat and um, I've loved our little tangents, especially. Mm. Yeah, and the sad thing is that we know that we could sit here and talk all day about all of the times that we've had, what you know, near misses where we could have been violently attacked and we, we are made to feel like we have had so many lucky times that it didn't happen. Yeah, it's been so, and I think it's been so helpful, not just for us, but I think for listeners as well, kind of like, yeah, knowing more about um, what's going on and why there needs to be so much education uh, surrounding it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's been really, really great to, to chat to you. Thank you. If you'd like to know more about Georgie's campaign, please follow her Instagram on at Matthews Georgie. Please sign her petition to amend legislation on intimate image sharing. You can find the petition on Instagram. The page is at petition.intimate.image.abuse. Thank you for listening to episode two, part two. In episode three, we'll be talking about contraception, in particular, the pill. In part two, we'll again be having another special guest. Thank you again for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.